Hi, welcome to another episode of 123 All Ears on Me. This is an early childhood education podcast hosted by the Maine Association for the Education of Young Children, also known as Maine AEYC. I'm Kaylina Mills, and I'll be your host. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about outdoor education in early childhood. I am going to be joined by the network coordinator of Maine Early Childhood Outdoors, and she is going to be sharing with us about some of the resources that are available in the state to help teachers and administrators and others who are interested get involved in outdoor education for early childhood. Before we jump into today's episode, I have two quick announcements. First, yesterday was Giving Tuesday. If you don't know about it, Giving Tuesday is always the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, which this year was November 27th, and Giving Tuesday is recognized as the global generosity movement to unleash the power of people and organizations to transform their communities and the world. Giving Tuesday is one of the major days in any nonprofit's calendar year. So even though it was yesterday, any donation that we receive here at Maine AEYC this week counts towards our Giving Tuesday campaign. And that's where you come in. We at Maine AEYC are trying to light the path forward for childcare. We believe that there is a path forward for childcare, a path where teachers are paid a living wage, families can afford care, and children get high quality care. So this Giving Tuesday, we are encouraging folks to give to Maine AEYC to help light the path for childcare. You can become a light for childcare by giving any amount, $1, $5, $50, $500, whatever you are able to give, you can help light the path forward for childcare. Go to maineaeyc.org slash donate today to learn more about why giving to our organization matters, where your dollars go to, and how it helps make an impact on the lives of children, families, and teachers. Every donation that we receive through the end of the day on Friday, December 1st, will count towards our Giving Tuesday campaign. So please become a light for childcare and give what you can today. And if you're not able to give right now, please share our posts, tell about our organization, and spread the word. Every bit counts. So please help light the path for childcare. There is a future where we all thrive. Donate today at maineaeyc.org slash donate. The second announcement I have to share with you all today is that December 1st, which is this Friday, is the deadline that the state has asked all licensed childcare providers to complete their market rate survey. While there is a possibility that this date might be extended and you might have more time to finish it, there's no guarantee of that. So please take 15, 20 minutes today, tomorrow, or Friday to complete your market rate survey. It is going to be a huge factor in the cost modeling process, and it is a vital advocacy tool. So please, share the story of your childcare program by filling out the market rate survey today, and when you share your story, you help us tell a more accurate, detailed picture of the childcare field in Maine so that we can better advocate for you, families, and children. Share your story and strengthen our collective voice. For more information about how to complete the market rate survey, you can watch a tutorial and get a materials checklist of things you'll need to do before you start the survey, all on our website at maineaeyc.org slash state advocacy. That's maineaeyc.org slash state 
advocacy. Are you thinking about going back to school to get your early childhood education degree? Maine AEYC and the Office of Child and Family Services wants to make it happen for you. We are proud to facilitate the Teach Scholarship Program so that early childhood educators throughout the state can go back to school to get their associate or bachelor's degree with most expenses covered. The Teach Program is unique because it's a partnership between you, Maine AEYC, and your employer. Together, we all work to ensure that you can successfully meet your career and educational goals. If you get a TEACH scholarship, Maine AEYC pays for 85% of your tuition costs, your employer pays for 7.5%, and you are only responsible for the remaining 7.5% of your tuition cost. For those seeking their associate degree, that's an average of only $260 per year that you must pay out of pocket. Exactly, Tony. You can get your degree through the TEACH Scholarship Program for very little money and without having to take out loans. It's such a phenomenal program to support early childhood educators throughout Maine. In addition to funding your tuition, TEACH recipients are paid for two hours a week of release time so that they can study without losing pay from work or time from their families. The scholarship provides a stipend each term and the scholarship pays for 85% of your book costs. The scholarship provides so much to its recipients. And in addition to all of those benefits, Teach Scholarship recipients get one-on-one counseling and support from a Maine AEYC staff member to ensure that they can successfully complete their program. It's so simple to apply for a Teach Scholarship. Go to maineayc.org application and download the application to your computer. After that, it should only take about 30 minutes to fill out the form and apply. Again, that's maineauic.org slash application. M-A-I-N-E-A-E-Y-C dot org slash application. Apply for a Teach Scholarship today and get back into the classroom to get your degree. So hello, I am joined today by Ann Adams, who is the network coordinator for the Maine Early Childhood Outdoors Network. Hi, Ann. Hi, Kalina. I'm very excited to have you today because, as you know, I'm an outdoor educator. So I'm super excited to chat about early childhood outdoor ed with you. Um, so before we start, I just want to let our listeners know that the piece of jargon that we're going to say over and over is MECO, which is the acronym for Maine Early Childhood Outdoors. So, Anne, welcome. Um, to get us started, can you just Tell me a bit about what MECO is. Sure. Happy to, and happy to be here um, participating in your podcast. Um, so MECO is a nonprofit network of early childhood stakeholders uh, supporting and promoting outdoor nature-based learning in the state of Maine. Um, but sort of more informally, we are a, a grassroots um, sort of organic group that started Oh, about probably five years ago now, it was pre-pandemic, and it really started with just a small group of outdoor educators who were gathering together for coffee and talking about what they were doing and realizing how important it was and um, really sort of feeding off of each other and understanding how much support is needed as you're trying to get outdoors with children in this um, day and age. 
And then the pandemic hit. And um, during the pandemic, there was obviously a heightened need uh, to get children and teachers outside more uh, from a health standpoint. And so this group grew and we had monthly meetings and we were really there to offer um, support to all of those teachers and children who were just trying to get outside really from a necessity standpoint. Um, and now here we are post pandemic, realizing that uh, we don't need to be outside from a health standpoint anymore. However, there is a there were a lot of benefits that were revealed during that time. There's also been a ton of research that has come out around the benefits of outdoor nature based learning for young children. And so post pandemic, there has been almost just as much, if not a greater need for support in this field in helping teachers to move outside in a number of ways. Um, and so we can probably talk more about that. But in general, that's sort of where we've come from. And um, so that's how we grew and we became now a full network statewide. Um, really providing um, a number of different resources and support. And I just want to highlight that we are a partner, uh, we are a network and not an organization. And so um, something that sort of stands out for us is that we are partnering with a number of different organizations across the state. And by creating this network and by creating really strong partnerships, we are leaning on the work that's being done by other organizations instead of competing with it. And so there's a number of, you know, for example, land trusts or um, uh, nature preserves that are doing a lot around education. There's also a number of nonprofit organizations that are doing similar work, only maybe with different age groups. The higher ed um, field is getting involved. There's state organizations that are wanting to promote outdoor learning. So we are really a part of this kind of vast network and making a lot of connections in order to enhance this work. Uh, so we don't stand alone, that's for sure. Yeah, so you're kind of like the connective tissue, connecting yes. like actual teachers in the field to all of these resources. Absolutely, yeah. And and for them, and really what, what are, um, stands out the most is that we want to sort of unite and collaborate as, a, as opposed to sort of be, doing competing work, right? And so, for example, the um, Maine Environmental Education Association uh, does similar work for us, but they focus on K to 12. And we focus on birth through age uh, eight or roughly grade two. So we overlap with them a lot in terms of what we do and we work hand in hand and uh, promote each other's work um, and really, sort of create our goal is to make it so that uh, educators working with infants all the way through grade 12 are getting the support they need to get outside. But that's too much work for one organization to do. So we partner with a lot of others. Absolutely. I mean, K-12 in and of itself is a really large chunk to focus on. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, and I will just highlight that we we do serve, we consider early childhood to be birth through age eight, like I said. And so that means that we serve two sort of sectors in our state and find both equally as important and deliver resources and support to both um, in an equal manner. So that's the childcare sector and um, then also the 
sort of elementary school sector, which is pre-K to, to grade two, and the childcare sector, which is infant through age um, five-ish or four. Yeah, and are you noticing that there's more demand from one of those sectors right now, or is it pretty like equal across the board? You know, surprisingly, it's really equal. Uh, the needs are different for sure, but the desire and the need for support to get outdoors is equal. The um, I would say that the childcare field has been doing more outdoor work um, historically, right? They've been outside with children more. There's a little bit more comfort level in terms of being out in the elements and just getting out and being out for longer periods of time. Um, but they need a lot of support when it comes to professional development and sort of taking it one step farther into curriculum coordination um, and also aligning with uh, the you know state standards or state practices. Uh, they also are in need of support around um, meeting state licensing regulations. So that's something that we are working on uh, so that they are able to continue to move outdoors and do nature-based learning without any um, you know, without the barriers that may be present from some of our licensing regulations. Uh, so that's a little bit about what we're seeing for need in that sector, whereas the uh, pre-K to grade two sector, it's really about just getting outside, uh, moving away from the indoor academic um, sort of <laughs> um, construct, and then just getting outside. And then once they get outside, then we can start talking about curriculum supports and things like that. But they need a ton of support around gear and what to do in the weather and how to be out beyond the fence, beyond the playground and getting into wild spaces. Um, there's a lot of teachers working in that sector who, of no fault of their own, have been really trained on this academic approach that every minute of your day with those children needs to be blocked out and doing academic work that counts towards what they consider learning. And so it's really for them about shifting their perspective and starting to see the value of getting outside and see the learning that does occur out there so that it can quote count as <laughs> instructional time or school time, um, you know, that shift away from from the, you know, what's valued as instruction versus play-based learning um, that they need, they need a lot of support around making that shift. Whereas the childcare sector is really comfortable in the play-based world and being outside and seeing the value in that. Yeah, I, I resonate with what you said so much because I taught public pre-K um, in a childcare center, like the town bought spots in that program. And I taught kindergarten for years. And so I was like on that fence between the childcare world and the K-12 world. Um, and just seeing the differences, uh, like, I think from my own personal anecdotal experience, that's 100% true what you're saying. And there's such a shift, like, so I took my kindergartners outside and then I led our K2 program to start a Forest Friday program. And the first and second grade teacher that I was working with to do this, um, you know, I did a book study with them the year before we did it um, around Balanced and Barefoot by Angela Hanscom so they could just kind of understand why it's important. 
and they were totally on board. And then once we started doing it, it was like they had no idea how to work with kids outside. It was totally foreign to them. And so there's so much to do with the teachers before you can even get the kids outside, you know, building those comfort levels of first being outside because a lot of people aren't outdoorsy. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, building up their skills, all of those behavior management skills and academic skills that they have in the indoor site, transferring those to the outdoor site. It's really challenging for a lot of folks. It is challenging. And it's, um, it really needs to be seen as a trajectory or a journey. I mean, it, it, this is not when, when we're talking about making a switch towards more, increased outdoor time or more nature-based learning, uh, it's not a switch that can just be like made <laughs> like, oh, here we go now. Um, there's, it, it's years really uh, for a school or for um, a childcare center to really make the changes necessary because there's just a lot of pieces to it. And so uh, we at MECO have a lot of respect for that journey that people are on. And so we are not in any way uh, have any sort of standard or end outcome for any um, organization or school or teacher or anyone that we're working with. We're really, we really strive to meet people where they're at and understand that any step in that direction is a good step and that they, everyone is on their own personal journey with getting outside more and um, play-based, nature-based learning, and that we are just there to support in, a, in whatever way is helpful, um, given where the individual or the organization is at. Now, that being said, that's sort of um, our on-the-ground work. And then we also have sort of higher-level work that we see as equally as important. And that has to do, I mentioned, with the licensing regulations. Um, that's one example. There's a number of sort of systems in our state that we are recognizing as barriers to outdoor nature-based learning. And so not that we can tackle those all at once, but we are definitely noticing them and building partnerships with those that we need to uh, in order to have the system sort of higher, the higher system at play uh, be more conducive and more supportive to getting outside with children. So for example, DHHS, OCFS, um, and their licensing team, we work a lot with them for the childcare licensing regulations. DOE has an early learning team that we are, uh, that we meet with regularly and partner with in order to try to support uh, anything that we could do there uh, to try to get curriculum to shift more towards outdoor nature-based learning. Uh, DOE also has a climate uh, initiative now. They have a climate specialist that they hired and there's a climate grant with some funds that are available for climate education, which is another word for <laughs> outdoor nature-based learning. And so we are involved in that as well. So those are sort of um, bigger picture, higher up projects or initiatives that we are also involved in because we understand that that work needs to be done too. And teachers don't have time often to advocate for themselves around that work. So we're doing that as well as sort of on the ground professional development and communities of practice and uh, things like that. 
Yeah, those systems pieces that create barriers. I know for me, it was often the temperature cutoff in the winter, mm-hmm. which um, is kind of arbitrary. <laughs> like I did a lot of research around it, you know, um, in the daycare that I worked at, it was 17 degrees. <laughs> and um, at the school that I taught at, it was 15 degrees, but all the other schools in our district were 10 degrees. Um, it's just totally arbitrary. And then like in Alaska, there is um, no cutoff. In Scandinavia, there's no cutoff. In Wisconsin and Michigan, it's zero degrees. You know, it's totally random. And it's one of those things where you just get told by your boss, like, you can't take the kids outside. It's too cold. And it's like, too cold according to what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, like, I don't know if you're working on that piece, but like those systems pieces where it's like, this is a rule and you just have to follow it. And you're like, but... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. uh, And we we are not working on that specific one right now, but it but it's on the list, right? Of all the number of of things that are not clear uh, for people who are just getting into this work, Um, and there is not really a document, like you said, you know, there's not a comprehensive document or um, comprehensive anything, you know, direction in terms of how this can all go. Um, So we do see that as a, as a need. One way, one example of how we are sort of addressing that is um, by developing a professional development training program. It'll probably be a four or five part training series. Um, That will be a state approved uh, training series. We're going to develop it next year, but that will be a place where, um, right, a lot of this information can sort of live in one place, right? Because there's many different aspects to going outside with children. There's the logistical part, which you were just talking about, right? Gear, weather, space, all of that. There's behavior management and risk management. And that just in general had going outside with children and being able to be safe and manage them. And there's also a whole conversation around curriculum and learning and you know, facilitating that learning and documenting that learning. And then underlying all of this is is a personal experience for everybody, for children, for teachers, for parents. Like that's all, that's like the umbrella or the the plate that all this is served on because <laughs> everyone's having their own personal experience around it. So the amount of conversation that can take place around outdoor learning for children is vast. It's vast. And one thing that's happening is that schools or childcare centers or family care centers are embarking on this journey and not knowing where to start. And so that is a challenge and it's a barrier because it can feel overwhelming. And there's not really a right answer to that, but there is an understanding that can be helpful that this is a vast journey that you're about to embark on that you're going to just take on sort of one thing at a time or take, you know, three steps forward, maybe one step back and then see, you'll take three steps forward and you say, oh, wait a minute. Now we need to work with the parents a little bit. Right. And then we do that. And then, oh no, now we need to sort of build the curriculum a little bit. And so it takes a lot of time and there is a lot of information um, to sort of grapple with. Um, And you're right that there is not a go-to sort of blanket uh, <laughs> a document that's going to tell you how to do it. Um, but in many ways that makes it really, um, interesting and, um, you know, sort of 
beneficial because you can have your own own journey with it. Uh, and it's what we are here to help with or provide provide support. I do think that some of the logistical things that you're talking about, like the weather and um, gear and thing, that will come out in the licensing, that's coming out in the licensing regulation conversation for sure. Uh, bathrooming, hand washing, food service, uh, weather, um, gear, all of those things are being addressed as we think about licensing regulations for childcare centers. And then public schools have a little less regulation around those things, it seems. So there's, like you said, there's more freedom for each elementary school to sort of create their own policies and ways to move forward with those, with those things. Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, I'm only writing a dissertation about socialization and how people learn norms, right? But so maybe it's just my brain that thinks about this, but you're saying there's all of these different things to think about when you're starting this process. And you're like, where could I possibly begin? Mm -hmm. And really there's no right answer. And I think something at least I find helpful to think about is like, we've already done that. Like the way that we already do things, like the quote unquote normal way of teaching and existing in the classroom is something we learned, but we learned it over our lives. It's how we were raised. And so it was it just feels natural and normal to us. And this makes us question all of those things that we've learned along the way, right? If you're shifting to an outdoor perspective and and that's new to you, you have to rethink everything <laughs> like you know um, and and reset it kind of. But I find that so exciting. It's really exciting to get to like choose the way you wanna be in the world, right? you were given this way of being in the world, but maybe you decide like, hey, I, I think this outdoor thing has a lot of value and I want to choose to do more of that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really exciting. And there's a, a lot of, um, in my experience, a lot of positive growth that happens when you actively and intentionally choose. Mm -hmm. This yeah. is what I want. Yeah, and I want to go back to, you know, so yes, there's this whole, you know, list of things that you can consider or that you're going to have to at some point move through as you you know to spend more time outside and center your approach more on nature but there are some first steps that we can offer today just in terms of um you know setting some framework that might be helpful and it really depends on who you are in the in the field if you're a teacher then um you know, you just have your, you have your classroom and your administration may or may not be supportive of what you're doing. And so that is going to be your first question, right? Your first sort of what does my school, what is my childcare center, what is my administrator sort of think about me going outside more and how might that affect uh, what I'm about to do. And so you sort of have, whereas if you're an administrator and you wanna do this, it's the opposite, right? You wanna do this and you need to look at your teachers and say, okay, who's who's gonna be you know, willing to do this and who might be have some more resistance or be unsure about it. So the point being there is that you're, the first thing here is to find uh, collaboration or a team or a partner that you can do this with. 
because it's very hard to do it alone. And if you find yourself, you're a teacher at a school that's not terribly supportive of outdoor education, that is when, you know, reach out. That's something that we do is that we can talk, uh, we talk through things with teachers all the time to offer support that maybe they're not getting from an administrator or from a system that they're in. Um, we also can connect them with other teachers that are doing it at other schools. So know that you're not alone and that you can sort of start to try things with your class, even if you're in a setting that is less supportive. Um, or you may find that once you start talking about it, you find people that are on your team or in your system. Maybe it's a parent volunteer who's really supportive, but you've got to find somebody to sort of talk this through with as you're doing it. It's very hard to start taking children outside in the main elements and not have someone to to process it with, to talk it through with, to collaborate with, to laugh about. I mean, there are really, there, we make mistakes and we try new things and we go out in pouring rain and we get soaking wet and we have to come right back in. And then, you know, that's a really joyful learning moment when you're with someone else doing it. When you're alone doing it, it's scary and it makes you never want to try that ever again. And so it's really important to first find some support find a team member, an administrator, a teacher, uh, us, it could, we could partner you with a mentor. We could, you know, there's a lot of different ways, but finding a, a partner is really a great first step. Um, you know, and then the second thing I would say is that you try something and you see what happens, right? It, it might be that you start go, you start taking kids outside more in different elements and for longer periods of time, and you get a bunch of pushback from parents. So there you go. There's your answer. Your next step is parents <laughs> and the education that may need to be had or some conversations that need to be had with parents because um, you're going to need their support. You're going to need them to understand what you're doing. Uh, or it might be that you start going outside and it's going really well. And so then you're like, OK, it's going great. What do I do? What do I do with them outside? And then you need curriculum support. You need activities, you need ideas, you need, um, you know, what kind of materials do you have outside with you? So that's professional development around that. So does that make sense? Like you kind Absolutely. of- Absolutely. Yeah. Small step. Trial by fire, right? And yes. and that in and of itself can be scary saying like, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. Um, especially for teachers who are really used to a very- hyper-controlled indoor environment, that can be a really scary step. Um, and so that's when, you know, you, there's you. To help. Exactly. Or somebody, I mean, it's, and it's gotta be, the collaboration has to be a, a partnership where honesty is, is acceptable, right? Where you can come in and say, that didn't feel good. Or I don't like it when they climb on the rocks. Like, I don't feel good about that. Or I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm, you know, you've got to be able to say the sentences um, that are sort of humbling and, but are caught by your partner or your collaborator or your support and are sort of held for you. And um, there's support given and new ideas and you try again. And that's how this works, really. That's how, at least in my experience and in all of my colleagues' experiences, that that is the trajectory towards moving outdoors and into nature-based learning with children is that you need a really strong um, partnership or support system where you can openly talk about and process what's happening. And then you take small steps and 
assess what comes of that because that's going to indicate your next step. It, it doesn't make much sense actually to plan it all out. First, we're going to do this. Then we're going to do this. Then we're going to do this. And then we're going <laughs> to like, that's not going it, to, it's probably not going to follow that path, right? You want to take one step and then assess, okay, what's our next step? And then do another one and then assess and think about what comes next. Because every place is different. Every, you know, the children are different. The demographics are different. The school's different. So um, that's sort of what I can offer in terms of those for those who are thinking about moving more outside or trying to get more outside with children. Yeah. And, and on that kind of note is, are there books or podcasts or articles or just like learning resources that you would recommend for people who, who are hearing what you're saying, but they're not maybe ready to, to do it quite yet. And so they just want to learn more. Yeah. So, um, I'm still, I'm a little old fashioned. I'm a book person <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I don't have another podcast to offer, although they're definitely out there. There's, there's a number of resources on this topic um, that one could find. Some of the literature that I find most helpful for those that are starting, um, there's a book called Forest Days uh, Handbook by Eliza Minucci. And that is a wonderful book uh, because it's, it's simple. <laughs> it's a how-to. So there's a lot of um, pretty basic sort of how-to suggestions of which you may not use all of them because in the Forest Days program, you're outside for a number of hours at a time. And so you may be thinking about just going out for an hour or two or something, but it will still lay out a number of things to consider that are really helpful. Um, another book that's fairly new is Patty Bailey's um, Evaluating Natureness. Uh, book. It's called Evaluating Natureness by Patty Bailey. And that is an, uh, an environmental assessment scale um, that you can use as a self-assessment, really. And there's a number of great ideas if you walk yourself through the self-assessment. If you're new to this, then you probably aren't doing many of the things in the book, but it gives you a number of ideas. And it I like it because it considers a number of things. It considers the teacher's role as well as sort of the space um, when it's talking about environment. It also considers both inside and outside. So it talks about bringing nature in as well as taking nature out or being outside more. And so there's a number of great ideas that could just get someone sort of started. Um, if you're looking, both of those are sort of um, how to basic ideas on some things that you could get started with. Um, if you haven't read it, then probably Last Child in the Woods is sort of a classic um, theory around what's happening in our country and for children and why we are, that was written, what, 15 or 20 years ago now. 2008, yeah, so. Yeah, 15 so 15 ago. years ago, it's getting old. Um, and however, the the picture has not changed in a positive direction anyways, right? It's, we're still up against technology and screens. Um, we're up against the academic and indoor focus. We're, um, yeah, we're up against sort of sedentary lifestyles. And so that book outlines just the, the scope of what's happening, the landscape and why it is important um, 
to be getting outside more on like a theoretical basis. And I think there are a lot of good statistics in that book, as well as like I mentioned earlier, Balanced and Barefoot. I think those two books have a lot of just good data. So if you need to convince parents or your administrators or someone else that there's an issue or that outdoor ed is like there's an issue with the way we're doing things or that outdoor ed is beneficial there are like hard numbers there <laughs> um which can sometimes be really helpful yep in addition to all of the lovely pedagogy and theory and curriculum which is actually my jam um the numbers are helpful sometimes yes yes they are yep so I would say yeah both of those are great for just sort of big picture making the argument for outdoor nature-based learning. And then um, I use Evaluating Natureness and the Forest Days Handbook a lot, just in everyday work. Um, who Rachel Tidd also had, Rachel, is that her name? Yeah, Rachel Tidd um, has a couple books that are very curriculum oriented. They offer, you know, just straightforward curriculum activities that are centered around nature and can be done outside with children. So another resource. Yeah. And I'm thinking too, as we're talking, um, you know, not everyone is in a location, like not your school or program might not be in a location where there's easy access to nature. And so there's, there are differences, but there's a ton of overlap between nature-based learning and place-based education. And so I find place-based education um, can be a really helpful um, place to start if you're in a more urban um, environment that doesn't have access to what we traditionally think of as nature. Um, mm -hmm. So um, David Sobel, who teaches at Antioch, New England, or he used to, um, has a bunch of books about both nature-based learning and place-based education. Um, and so I would just recommend any of his books to folks. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely not um, just for rural people. <laughs> um, urban, uh, I know Portland Public Schools, are, they have a big initiative around outdoor uh, place-based uh, education, and um, it absolutely can be done uh, in urban settings and um also in rural settings and play, you know, the, the spaces that you have is another, you know, that that's another thing on that vast list of things to consider, right. The, the space that you have. And for some places in Maine, it's fairly simple to find uh, natural spaces to be in. And for other places, that is one of your biggest challenges. And so again, that's, you'll hit that, you know, on your road uh, somewhere, <laughs> how do I find the space and where do I develop, um, space for children to be outdoors. There's a number of resources uh, in our state around that as well, that Miko, some organizations that we partner with and a lot of support can be given for greener um, play yards or natural playscape designs, um, the introduction of loose parts, uh, a number of things that can be offered in those situations for resources. So people have listened. They are so excited to to get on the outdoor education train. <laughs> um, how can they get involved with you guys right now? Right now, so it uh, depends on sort of um, what you 
need maybe <laughs> and what you have to offer i would say those are your there are two questions if you are someone who is just starting out on this and interested and want to learn more then there's um, a number of offerings uh, around sort of professional development uh, we have a network-wide convening that happens quarterly and uh you know, we will be at conferences around the state, especially this spring. And so those are opportunities, or you can just reach out uh, to us to ask for more information or to get involved. There's communities of practice um, that are taking place. So all of those opportunities can be found on our website, on our events calendar. And I would really recommend attending those if you are new uh, to the world of outdoor learning, you want to just learn more, you want to get connected to other people who are doing it. Uh, we welcome everyone to just reach out, attend these things, ask questions, let us know where you're at and what you need, because that also feeds what we take for action, you know, on a broader, on a broader scope. We really need to hear from those who are trying to do this work and perhaps hitting barriers or find just finding it extremely challenging because that informs what we can do to help. If you are someone who is perhaps more seasoned or you've been practicing outdoor learning um, and have experience to offer, then I there's also a number of ways to get involved. We have a public policy and advocacy group that meets monthly. We also have a resource hub meeting that meets monthly and anyone is welcome to attend those. Uh, although it is an opportunity if you have experience to share and give back at those meetings. Um, and that is sort of where some of MECO's work uh, gets formed and, and um, you know, we take action in those groups. So those are a couple other ways to get involved and give back. Um, and then the other way is to just find a local, you know, there's some communities of practice, there's the inside outside groups, there's a number of sort of uh, just small local groups that are meeting. And I encourage everyone to get involved in those because like I said before, this is not a journey that you can take on your own. This is one that we need to do together. And so whether you are new and needing help or you are experienced and have something to offer, we need to find each other so that we can help each other along this, this path. And nature is hyper-local, right? So the more you're connected to your immediate local community, the the better, I, I think. Exactly, right. Yeah. Um, okay, um, is there anything else you want to share or talk about um, before we wrap up? Um, I don't think so. We covered a lot. I really appreciate this time. I, you know, I just really want everyone to know that we are, uh, even though we're relatively new uh, to the early childhood scene here in our state, that we are available to help and um, provide support and resources. And I would say most importantly, it's great to just hear from people what they're doing, the success stories, as well as the challenges and the barriers, because our steering committee and myself are meeting monthly and creating the direction of MECO. And we are deciding uh, you know, where the most support is needed and what action to take next. And we need to hear from everyone in the field in order to be you know, well-informed and to make those decisions no. that will be most impactful. I think that's it. Thanks for having me.
thank you for coming. I'm always happy to talk about outdoor education. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, thank you so, so much. And if people want to learn more about MECO, they can go to maineyc.org slash M-E-E-C-O. <laughs> uh, so two E's in there, M-E-E-C-O, Maine Eco. All right. Thanks, Anne. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening. You've been listening to 123 All Ears on Me, an early childhood podcast hosted by the Maine Association for the Education of Young Children. This episode was hosted, produced, recorded, and edited by me, Kaylina Mills. You can find out more about us at maineaeyc.org and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next time.